We've been working our way through Jorge Luis Borges's short stories up for discussion today, The Secret Miracle. And should miracles be secret and kept only in one's head? Uh, uh? Uh, I see what you did there. Let me start with this epigraph because I was a little bit confused by this in the beginning. It says, and God caused him to die for a hundred years and then raised him to life. And God said, how long hast thou waited? He said, I have waited a day or part of a day. Have you read the Quran before? Parts of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I have not in all transparency and I Googled it and I could find like this quote, but it wasn't this exact reference. And in a time of serendipity, a person commented on one of our old Borges videos and, and said, Hey, you know, be, be on the lookout for these references Borges makes. But when you look them up, they're not there. Like they might be real. They just might be somewhere else or they might not be real at all. I also went a little deep dive into this as well because it sounded very familiar and I thought, this is not biblical, but obviously very religious in nature. So I searched it up, you know, pasted, copy and pasted it in the old uh, Google search. And then I started looking and I'm like, wait a minute, the numbers don't match up because it says that it's chapter two, verse 261 on the PDF file that I was reading for the story for the secret miracle. And then when I, when I Googled it over and over and over again, and I checked multiple sites, it always comes up as chapter two, verse 259 and so i kept thinking to myself you know what is this what is this uh reference to is there something more than there and i think that possibly when borges was you know referencing or reading this years and years decades ago it could have been translated differently you know from its native language into spanish than different to english the versions we're looking at and thus the numbers are just slightly off uh, but I thought it was very interesting that he chose this quote of about time and how time is basically irrelevant to God. Mm -hmm. Well, and in the mind of God, in the mind of the material world, I think that's something I kind of want to dive into a little bit. And I do wonder about, I, I don't, I suspect it's not a translation problem. I imagine this is potentially Borges playing with in the mind of, like kind of like what you, you got to at the end there. Because... Okay. We'll think of it this way. The opening of this opens how we have this dream of this world where it's like the war of two families almost that's been going on for centuries, this chess battle that nobody knows what it is. <laughs> yeah. And there's like these contradictions, right? It's in the desert, but it's raining. They're playing chess, but the set's all locked up and they're playing it for centuries and he didn't even start it. It's it's almost like there's this incongruence even with how he constructs uh, this 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 world that is in this man, man's mind because it's a dream. I love the discussion. I love where we're going with it. Why just go two numbers off? I think it says chapter two, verse two sixty one, and in reality, from what I found, it was two fifty nine. Why not like make it uh, re reversed? Um, or give us some kind of a clue. I'm just, I'm wondering why it's so slight and not more of a hint. It just uh, perplexes me. Have you ever thought about how we've, we started some of this discussion with the circular ruins when we covered that short story? We talked oh, yeah. about idealism, right? The, 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 the philosophical idea that your mind is a part of constructing reality. And you've got a lot of different views of it, and I cannot explain all of them perfectly. You're going to have to go to a channel that's really good at that to be able to explain that. <laughs> 
but we have these ideas of what makes you relevant or stay in someone's mind, right? We've read The Life of Chuck by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. It was all predicated on that idea that these were these characters, these people were only alive as long as you're in a person's mind. Well, same thing with this dream world. This dream only existed in uh, Yaromir Hladik's mind, right? And as soon as the dream was over, like that, that, that got destroyed. And you'll notice there's even like some parts later in this story where he talks about literature. Uh, he almost kind of like, he always kind of like denigrates slash plays with the immortality of what it means to be a writer and to have like long lasting literature because we've read these stories from authors over a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, and then even back further for some that literature is a way of immortalizing yourself. It's a way of combating that if idealism is this thing of, of you have to stay in the consciousness to be relevant, to be a part of reality in a sense, uh, to be, well, to be constructed and made into it, not solipsism there then literature is a way to do that, right? By by helping you stay in the consciousness and in the minds of peoples. It's kind of battling that constant decay that we have. I love the layers upon layers upon layers that we can go with this story because you have Laddick who has people that he's created that only exist in his mind and Laddick only exists in Borges' mind and we mm. now exist, or Borges only exists in our mind because, and and we only exist in this video. It's kind of crazy that we're all immortalizing each other. And it just, that's like the passing down of knowledge from one generation to the next. And I think that's important. And I think how you view that is significant and important and recognize that, uh, that the life is fleeting, but there are ways to make long lasting impacts. Yeah. There we're all part of this thread of history. Right? Yes. Exactly. And we all contribute to it. And the you viewers out there watching this, being interested in Borges, are participating in the ever-expanding, you know, gravitas that we give writers like this. All right. Well, let's snap back to the story and get back to Laddick, where we're in Prague, and it's World War II, and they're being invaded, and he's going to be captured, and basically we move the plot forward that he's going to be executed. And it's with that execution that we have this really interesting idea from Hladik where you've probably heard the term, how many times has the worst thing you've imagined come true? And it's almost never, right? Like a lot of times our mind gets a little bit crazy with how bad things can go. And does it ever go the worst? Yeah, it does. Like it's not like it never happens. But a lot of times our own pessimistic nature imagines far worse things that ha than actually that end up do happening. And so he takes this opposite idealistic idea, you know, his, his mind's participating in the creation of reality in a sense, where he says, okay, if I imagine all these terrible things, then those won't happen because I've imagined them. So then therefore they can't happen. Did you find that interesting? I know you're a guy that, that doesn't plan, like you, you kind of like to avoid planning a little bit. How did that one hit you with the idea of the fact that you're creating is preventing reality? It's a part of constructing it. It feels a little bit, I guess, moronic because there you, you can plan only so much. And if you do plan and then those plans come to fruition, you're happy. But I feel like you're almost twice as mad than you would normally be if those plans don't come to fruition. Uh, because if you don't plan anything and then something doesn't happen, a lot for me anyway, I'm like, meh about it. I'm like, all right, well we do something else, you know, uh, 
couldn't get into this steakhouse. Let's go to this steakhouse or let's go here and we'll we'll make our own adventure and have our own fun. So I feel like Laddick is overly optimistic, which is great for him. And I think it works for him. Uh, it just seems unrealistic, I feel like. And being in the setting of World War II, one of the probably worst time periods ever to live in human history, it is very refreshing to find somebody that is so... I guess, upbeat about how things are moving forward of like, all right, well, I maybe get killed, but at least I'm, you know, not getting eaten. I don't know. <laughs> like the, the, the guy is very positive, which is, uh, which is pretty nice. Like he kind of reminds me of the discussion that we had in war and peace, where we talked about the quantum Zeno effect, where, you know, if you think about it from a quantum mechanics perspective, the more you observe like a particular state of something, it actually does change the state to an extent. It's that old adonym of a, a watched pot never boils, right? We know that's not totally true, but there is an element of that from a quantum mechanics standpoint. And he's almost applying this to the universe, like the way that he applies his mind to the situations to optimistically come up with a less painful death. It was it was very entertaining. You had to at least smile and enjoy this part of the short story, right? Yeah, it's very uplifting. I think that uh, Laddick is a great example of trying to be positive through adversity. He's someone that thinks that he can beat the outcome and he sort of does and you got to think as the story moves forward and his execution day comes cl closer and closer and as we mentioned kind of at the beginning of the video uh, he's trying to write this novel um, of these two families that are warring together which is kind of you know ironic that he's inside of this war and he just wants to finish his novel that's all he wants to do and he almost gives himself sort of, depending on how you see the story, the ability to finish that story, so to speak. Yeah. I was watching one of our friends. They've also covered this short story, and they, they point out this story within a story, how Kubin uh, has, has, you know, he's this baron. He's got this wife. This other guy, importunes, I think was the word used, and only to discover that this guy that was hitting on the wife actually thinks he is the baron. It almost becomes a little bit incoherent, kind of like raining in the desert, playing chess, but the chessboard's locked up. It, it, it plays with that incongruency factor. And like, is the Baron actually Kubin all along? That that it plays with this idea of of knowledge that, that Borges likes to play with. But at the same time, he is participating in trying to immortalize himself, right? Like, I can't remember what it was. There was some memoir where a writer asked about why you write, and he said, well, because I'm afraid of death, right? Like, this is my way of living on. This is my statue, right? That's the, some of the great men, quote unquote, get. And that's like the last thing he's obsessed with, which basically posits that whole, you know, I got to find God, right? Because if I find God and I ask him, can, can you give me more time to finish my novel because I'm supposed to be scheduled for execution together, it sets up this, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge-like twist at the end, right? Yeah, so he set up for his execution and then God, we think intervenes or at least in the mind of Laddick he thinks God intervenes and gives him the time to finish the novel but there's the monkey's paw catch to it right all time freezes including Laddick himself he can't move he's locked in this moment he gets the time to finish the novel but he can only finish it in his mind oh that's heartbreaking I loved it <laughs> well it's kind of like in an absolute idealism standpoint he did finish the novel, right? Be because it's in the consciousness of, of the brain, of the mind, it exists, 
right? It's a part of reality per se. But mm. since it doesn't get to get passed on to someone else, to your point, it doesn't become part of like the um, like ontological aspect of reality. Then that's that's the the cruel Twilight Zone twists at the end where he finishes the novels in a night's time because of this year, kind of like the the epigraph, you know, giving, you know, one day for a hundred years. Uh, so he finishes the novel, but it from an ontological existence standpoint, it never leaves the mind, so therefore it's destroyed. Yeah, that's the heartbreaking part. And maybe what Borges was trying to point out, at least I took from the story, that does it matter? I think it does. In order for literature to matter, it has to enter into the consciousness of the people. That's where it's going to be lasting, and that's where it's going to make a difference. I'll say this, one of the hardest parts for me when I read these types of stories like that, they call it chronoception, like the perception of time. And we do see how in a moment of extreme adrenaline, like I remember almost getting into this car accident once, it was like it was like hitting like that button in Max Payne where everything like went slow or whatever that game was. <laughs> Bullet time. I just, I, I just, I just casually just like swerved out of the way as this huge wreck is happening at like 80 miles per hour in Chicago. And I swerve into like the shadow. I come back onto the road and then I just keep driving. It was literally like a 10 minute experience in my head, but it was in reality, a matter of a couple of seconds and I always think back to that moment, like that strange perception of time and how adrenaline changes things. And it's it's always the hardest things to imagine. But this is kind of like, this is the secret miracle, right? The story. This is the epiphany explained, right? When you're sitting there and you know, like sometimes you have that light bulb moment where it just suddenly clicks to understand something. Well, imagine yes. sectioning that out kind of like the Zeno paradox, another Zeno paradox. And you get to experience smaller chunks of it. And that's what this man gets to do. He gets to experience one day in smaller chunks where he has basically his epiphany explained of creating the novel. And it's the sad Twilight Zone ending where he doesn't get to experience it with other people, right? Yeah, exactly. This reminded me of the Burgess Meredith episode of Twilight Zone. Uh, there's never enough time where he's going to... Uh, want to read books all the time and there's an apocalypse and so he finally gets the ability to read all the books and then his glasses break and he can't read anything it, it's heartbreaking because you have enough time to write the novel but you can't actually write the novel but does that mm. matter to Laddick? no it doesn't does it matter to us yes because we never get to experience it and i think one of the important things to take away from here too is something you mentioned about time that Time is something that is subjective, as you mentioned in your story. That and the the the, the watch pot never boils. Time can fluctuate. Maybe maybe literally in a scientific standpoint, one second is always one second. But your perception of one second definitely alters with your state of mind, and that's important for us to I think grasp because happy moments might seem very quick, and painful moments might seem very very long, especially in what Laddick went through. Well, I wonder if there's a Borges story. I can't remember the name of it, but you know how like, isn't it something like, like the way that you, if you travel in space, a certain rotation that time actually changes where instead of you aging at X rate, you age at Y rate when you come back, maybe I'll look it up or maybe someone smart can put uh, what the name of that is in the comments down below. But there's something about how 
like time can even shift in reality for some people. It's some paradox. I, I, I'm not smart enough to explain it. I imagine there's got to be like a Borges story out there to explain that one because uh, it's just so interesting that time isn't an absolute in some regards, like, or, or at least maybe I'm not phrasing that correctly, but there's a, an experiential difference between that when, when you go through those types of experiences. Oh, I definitely agree with that. I know that when you're sitting at work, eight hours feels like a thousand hours. And then when you get home and you're doing dinner and a show and cleaning and everything, it's like, it's already time to go to bed. It's been three seconds. That's crazy. And I'm pretty sure that's like Einstein's theory or Stephen Hawking's theory of relativity and time. I know that the faster you travel close to the speed of light, they theorize that that the time will change relative to somebody that is experiencing gravity here on earth. Um, they're pretty sure that's, you know, a good theory or true whatnot. So really cool to have a, a Borges story explaining that <laughs> a little more sci-fi into it. That'd be awesome. Is it called time dilation? I don't know. I'm going to look it up as soon as we're done recording here. We're going to put a playlist for other Borges talks down below. We're going through story by story through him. We hope you're enjoying it. Let us know what story you'd want to see us cover next from him. Peace. Peace.